let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Honey, I love a luxurious moment, but I also love luxury that, like, doesn't cost quite so much. Then I discovered Quince, and it was a total game changer. They have so many different items to choose from. They have washable silk tops and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Thanks, Quince. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Indulge in affordable luxury, honey. Go to quince.com slash curious for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash curious to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash curious. Hey, curious people. It's Jonathan Van Ness, and welcome back to Getting Curious. It is Valentine's Day season. It's that wonderful time of year that seems to extend all year around, all the time, in the sense that, like, our world seems to be centered around finding love, and then if you do find love, then you become happy. Um, It seems that love is just everywhere we look. It is in our music. It is on TV. It is all over social media. We see that in the rise of dating apps. We see that in the rise of dating shows. Why is that? Um, And also... It's kind of like when the economy goes bust and we used to say in the salon, like, well, we'll always have a job as a hairdresser because people need to get their hair done. Well, really, the true winner of the economy is love because people will always be talking about romantic relationships because we are just like bipedal ass fuckers who want to be loved in this goddamn world, I think. Or maybe we don't. I don't know. So and also like what role does racism and sexism play in dating? And as ideas about gender and gender roles change, how is that affecting people's relationships? So to talk about this, we're going to bring in our guest, who is none other than the iconic and also previous guest of Getting Curious, who we literally love so much it hurts, Sabrina Strings. Sabrina Strings, if you don't know, is an author and professor. Her book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, is an NYU Press bestseller. She has been featured in dozens of venues, including BBC News, Los Angeles Times, Essence, and Vogue. Her new book, The End of Love, Racism, Sexism, and the Death of Romance just came out on January 30th. So get into that. Ah, 
Our guiding question today is romantic love dead and was it always a scam? With a side of, are fuckboys stronger than ever and are straight people okay or like worse than ever? Because, honey, the straights, I'm worried for you guys almost as much as you guys are probably worried for us. Anyway, Sabrina, how are you? Oh, Jonathan, it's so great to see you again. I'm feeling great. So excited to be on. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. Was this your sophomore album book or was, or do you have like a book even before your first book? Um, so this is my sophomore album book, um, in a sense. But actually I started writing on some of the memoir pieces that you read in the book when I was in graduate school. So some parts of this were written even before my first book. Oh my God, I love that. We're going into the archives, into the vault. I'm obsessed with that. So <laughs> let's start off with, uh, I'm going to work back to front on, on kind of my intros questions. Are the straights okay? <laughs> the situation with the straights is dire. That's just what it is. I mean, because for a very long time, straight people expected that they would date and then find love and get married. And that would be the full course of their lives. That's not happening for the majority of straight people anymore. Notice that I said the majority, not a lot. Because according to the data, not only is sex down, especially for young people, but 52% of all adult women in the United States are single. This is nothing short of a revolution. Wow. Yep. 52% of adult women in the United States are single. That's right. And the majority of those women would have been straight. Has the perception of gender roles and romance changed? And is that a part of this breakdown? So that's exactly what's going on here. We don't really know how old patriarchy is. Um, according to Gerda Lerner, who is the fantabulous badass historian and feminist, patriarchy might be like maybe 5,000 years old, right? So it, we're not immediately clear on that. We do know that patriarchy had a major reboot in the 12th century, and it was the dawn of romance. Romance re-articulated gender roles. It led to an understanding of the way that men needed to be valorous, courageous, brave, knightly. I mean, brave art, right? We're thinking like Mel Gibson. And the way that women needed to be, oh, we needed to be passive and tender. We need to have a man who's going to rescue us. This idea came out of romance in the 12th century. And we can't say that we're into anal. <laughs> Nobody, a woman can't say she's into any kind of sex. And a man who says he's into anal. Yeah, look, or she's a fucking. Yeah, she's a slut. She's a whore, right? Yeah. And significantly, and this is a big part of what's going on right now, the idea of romance meant that romance was only accessible for women who were chaste and religious and sweet and nice and kind. Romance was never meant to be accessible to hoes. So if you a hoe, good for you. We're in a hoe revolution. But know that this immediately puts you outside of the discourse for romance. And that's why you ain't got your partner. Okay, not to like go on a major off course here, but every once in a while, I learn that I've been saying a word wrong for my whole life. Um, chaste. I thought that was chasty, chast, chast. I don't know. I've just been, <laughs> I never really knew and I never really asked, but I'm glad that I know how to say that word now. It's, sometimes the short ones really fuck me up. And thank you for that, Serena. But, um, well, how did that, like, shape the romantic ideals and stereotypes that you were just talking about that like it's not available to you if you a hoe I mean we see that a little bit in Pretty Woman and then that she was like the girl mm -hmm. who 
like the lovable hoe um, who is, you know, the teeth, the gold and like the perfect hair and like, you know, very giving like movie montage hoe, but also like I love Pretty right. Woman and that was my favorite movie from preschool through now. Um, so, but what, <laughs> how, what does that mean for our stereotypes and like how we think about literally the, the history that you were just talking about and how it shapes how we see women in romance now? So when we go back to the history of romance, what we will notice is that they were very clear about the very religious and obviously like Western cultural ideas that they wanted these women to uphold. You couldn't just be any woman. And so even in the 12th century, there was this writer, his name was Capianus, and he was just like taking on all of the stereotypes that men were producing about women for the purpose of romance, right? They even had a particular way in which they looked. So overwhelmingly, these women were supposed to be surprised fair-skinned and slender, right? Sometimes women would be described as having dark hair. Sometimes they would be described as being voluptuous. But over time, these romantic narratives kept reproducing a very similar beauty ideal to what we have right now. So there was the beauty ideal that we have still with us. And then there was this idea about what constitutes a good woman. She is giving. She is polite. She is sweet. She doesn't challenge a man. These ideas are integral to romance. So when the feminist revolution started in the 19th century, they were attacking these ideas about the way women should be. They're like, women can be anything. We can do anything. We can occupy a variety of different personalities and characteristics. We, well, as I uncovered in my research, there were a number of men who hated this idea. And it was these men who started to chip away at romance as a way of taking something back from feminists. How? <laughs> they were like what they do. So these men who were, and I suppose I can reveal this now, many of them were writing for Playboy. Don't get me wrong. These men were writing for a variety of different places. Some of them were writing for Esquire. Some of them were just writing books independently, but they found in Playboy in the 1950s, a massive platform for their anti-romantic ideals. And so what they would say in Playboy is do not commit to women like this. And the like this were women who were not attractive enough, women who were not polite enough, women who were not chaste enough. Those were the wrong kinds of women. Why? Why did they say they weren't good partners? They were saying that these women were asking too much of men. They were saying that these careerists, these feminists, these women were abhorrent. They don't care about beauty. They don't care about kindness, politeness, all the things that romance dictates that women should care about. And for that reason, these women were not worthy of a romance. These women were not worthy of commitment. These women were hoes and sex workers. And so you treat them like hoes and sex workers. Wow. So basically toxic masculinity really became embodied in the 50s? That's right. But it was probably like happening in pockets before that, probably? Yeah. I mean, so it, it seemed as if... Playboy was like this clearinghouse for these ideas. But there were men who had been writing against feminism since the first wave of feminism. It's just that they were doing so in a sneaky, conniving way. It was clear that they didn't want the vast majority of women to find out about this, but they wanted to be able to transmit this information to men. And what better way to do that than through pornography? They know the vast majority of women are not going to pick up a Playboy. And it's only because of the fact that these things are digitized that I had access to it. Otherwise, we might not have known. When was the first feminist, like, wave? 
So we talk about the first wave of feminism as being in the 19th century. So this is when this is when a lot of suffragists were coming out. They were demanding the uh, enfranchisement of women. They were also demanding the abolition of slavery, many of them. I don't think enough feminists get credit for that because a lot of white feminists and black feminists were deeply invested in abolition. But there was also a movement already by the 18th century, by the, by the likes of people like Mary Wollstonecraft, to say, you know what? Women are more than our appearance. We're more than sitting at home, raising kids, being polite to our husbands. We have goals and dreams and ideas, right? So this is the vindication of the rights of women. This is already in the 18th century. Interestingly enough, the 18th century is also the time in which this beauty hierarchy, this racist beauty hierarchy, that was also serving to undermine romance in ways we haven't gotten to was taking off. So there's a very clear connection between men doing things, working to undermine romance and women engaging in feminist practices. Okay, let's break that down because that's I that's major. So if romance is the goal, which romance in, in my view, and I think in your view is like true connection and intimacy between like, two people, maybe it's more, we can get into polyamory later if we need to, but real romance is like connection and intimacy and like two people really seeing each other, like, and really like, you know, lifting each other up, like doing, like really seeing each other, like not putting each other into boxes or something. Do you agree with that? I think that could be a very equalitarian, modern example of a sexual love, but I don't necessarily think that's what romance is or does. I can understand how our culture keeps trying to tell us that. Our culture is always trying to collapse a variety of different things onto one notion, as if these all are connected. But in reality, the earliest romantic tales didn't lead to deep, long-lasting, loving partnerships. Those ideas only came later, around about the 19th century. The earliest ideas of romance was that there was this man, a Lancelot, he was willing to sacrifice everything for an elite, an attractive <laughs> woman that he loved. So when he finally is able to prove his love for her and she's able to show that she loves him, the romance is ill-fated because A, well, Guinevere is married, and you know, B, that's how these tales played out in the early period. They were tragic tales. They were not about the consummation of a forever love. That idea only happened in the 19th century. And it's my view that that idea actually serves to oppress women. I think a lot of those historical examples of romance, like it wasn't for women to be like embodied or seen or nurtured or like no. have their goals realized or like have all women it's like, it was like to give like some women like status, but they didn't really get to be like seen or heard or like their goals celebrated. Like, like and, and so is that what you were saying with like, really that that idea of romance serves to oppress women or the thing that I was saying oppresses women or both? This is a nuanced question. And I really love it because I think that when we imagine a connectedness between two people, that seems beautiful. I mean, there might be some, I'm going to argue that there are some problems with suggesting that we can have a couple that's connected and that they lift one another up. And that's all that they care about. That's their entire social world because it means everyone else in the community can fuck off, right? But we want to exist, hopefully, in a world in which we can have a loving partnership and also be connected to other human beings in a community that we're trying to help flourish. You know, we want to have a strong public square. At least I think that many of us would want that. The problem is that romance doesn't offer that opportunity. It's like someone who you wouldn't be ashamed to go out to brunch with. Like you want to like date some, but it's like, but why would you be ashamed of going out to someone 
to brunch. It's like, well, because of these ideas that we've been told about, like, oh, are they too femme? Are they too big? Are they too whatever thing that you don't want to be seen with? Well, where do we learn those ideas from? A lot of them are racist or sizist or fatphobic or a lot of the things that we think about, like, oh, well, you need to get a good partner. It's literally ideas that our families have talked about that come from like eugenicist ideas from that fucking Galton, right? Yep. Yeah, this is like, I really appreciate you breaking all that down because in reality, there is so much bad science out there and people don't realize it. So race science was never fully conquered. Gender science was never conquered. Eugenics, fat, like all of these things are still with us and people are simply figuring out new ways to legitimize them, right? And so, I mean, we can get into the many different ways in which that manifests, but the whole question of like going to the salon or the barbershop and conversations about attractiveness that take place there, Unfortunately, a lot of the time, these conversations will be indebted to race science. They will be indebted to a very sexist form of medical science. And what we have to do is challenge that. I mean, because of course, the idea of like straight hair and the idea of slim hips, you know, these are things that we've all heard of. And if people are like, oh, well, you should be more voluptuous. It's like, okay, now you're picking and choosing different ideas from different places and claiming they're scientific. They have nothing to do with any real scientific principles. They are simply things that have been validated after years and years and years of people hearing about them. And usually they've come from some corny ass places that we should be, in fact, challenging. Recently, I've been having some stomach problems. Everyone that I talked to recommended that I take a bunch of different supplements and vitamins, but it's kind of complicated to keep track of that many different pills and powders every day. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my gut health while also supporting my immune and brain health. AG1 covers my bases with high-quality ingredients like pre- and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food-sourced nutrients. AG1 also replaces my multivitamin, my pre-slash-probiotic, and my supplements to support energy and focus. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com curious. That's drinkag1.com curious. Check it out. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them, too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. We're all familiar with the idea of a fuckboy, or at least I think that we are. But how do you define a fuckboy? And how do they, like, enter in your work? And also, toxic masculinity. I'm just wondering, like, how does that... 
how do you define that? Does it have something to do with fuck boys? And then that whole thing of like, well, men suffer too. I'm always scared to say that. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to cancel for that? But we kind of mentioned <laughs> it earlier when you were like, we don't talk enough about ways that men are pressured to do certain things. And then that like proliferates like men acting like fucking assholes. So actually, yes, leaving all of that's that's the question. Fuck boys. How do you define them? And are they all suffering from toxic masculinity? And how do we pull the plug on that fucker? <laughs> so I just want to say, first off, that not all men are toxic. And so I want to make that clear that this is a certain type of learned behavior. And a lot of it is relatively new. So a fuck boy is a man who is emotionally manipulative. And frequently the way in which they're emotionally manipulative is by being withholding. They might withhold love or other forms of affection. They might withhold sex. That's why when we hear about fuckboys, we hear about men who are hot and cold. One day they're so excited about you. Ooh, they're over the moon. The next day you can't hear from them. They're ghosting you. Fuckboy bullshit. We hear about men being cheap, right? This is also a fuckboy quality. All of these are ways in which, interestingly enough, these men have figured out how to undermine male expectations that are attached to the romantic ideal because the romantic ideal since the 19th century said men should be providers. It said that men should be loving, divulgent with their emotions. Even players are divulgent with their emotions. They love telling women how much they love them, right? But fuck boys have taken that back and they have changed the game to say, we don't tell you how we feel about you. We don't love them hoes. Hmm. Where does that idea come from? And that, in fact, you don't care enough about our feelings. You don't know how I feel about my last breakup. I'm still a processing situation with my last girlfriend. Okay. That's a fuck boy, an emotionally manipulative man. Mm. <laughs> Any thoughts on like how to disentangle or get Obviously, a lot of times it does come to like money and like being able to get like afford to get away from a fuckboy if you've really gotten in too deep. But if you're still in a place where like you haven't gotten in so deep, but they're circling and you see bad shit happening, you're seeing red flags. Any thoughts on how to like disentangle? I think it's important for women to recognize if they're in a relationship or even worse, a situationship, which is frequently what women find themselves in with these fuckboys. So a situationship is something that is almost like a relationship, except for there's no commitment. You don't really know what this person is feeling. They don't really care for your emotions. You're basically hanging out with someone and there's no parameters to what you're doing. Now, there is a way in which that can be um, freeing. For example, if you want to be in an open relationship, but being in a situationship is very much anxiety producing. That's how you know, because you have not had a conversation about the status and the contours of your relationship. So the first step is simply for women to recognize like, hmm, has he cared about my feelings at all? Is he constantly divulging his emotions as a way of shutting mine down? Is he withholding love? Is he ghosting? Right? Does he go away for a week and then come back? All of these things are huge red flags. So if you feel like a man is in your life and out of your life and in and out, or for whatever reason, just not concerned about who you are, this is the time for you to extricate yourself from that because this is a form of emotional relational abuse. What about, well, let me say, okay, so you mentioned it before, but like possessiveness. And then I didn't really finish the thought, but like is a more... Is there a modern romance that's possible for women, non-binary, trans, gender, non-conform? Is, is romantic love possible in like a way that fulfills everyone? 
or like both parties? Like, can we have romantic love and a strong town square? Um, or is that just totally like, is, is it a fucking scam? Or what do you think? I think sexual love is possible. I, I think that sexual love could be an amazing feeling because now you're having a beautiful and true connection with another human being. But I do not think romance is going to be the path to get us there. Not anymore. Don't get me wrong. There are those people who did use the romantic path, the romantic narrative and find sexual love for a long time in this country, right? But that started to go away in the fifties. And we can already see by the era of Seinfeld precisely how foolish romance had become. I mean, so Seinfeld bills itself as being a TV show about nothing. But when you look at it, it's actually about the trash ass nature of boomer romantic relationships, partially because of all the foolish nonsense that Jerry and George get up to as they're trying um, increasingly to get women who are attractive, the kind of attractive women that they want. So clearly the problem with romance, the number one problem with romance is that it is conditional. It is a conditional form of love. It says you need to look for a partner with these qualities. And if a partner doesn't have these qualities, especially if a female partner, you don't want that. So that's the major issue with romance is that it's conditional. The other thing I think we should look at is that when we look at relationships across the globe, historically, many of them were arranged. And I can understand why people wouldn't want to have an arranged relationship. But notice that the relationships that we choose for ourselves based on romance are trash. They're falling apart everywhere. They don't last. Sometimes they don't form at all. And divorce rates are sky high. I think we need to acknowledge that romance is over. And we're not going back to it. And largely that's because there are a number of men, these fuckboys, who do not want that. We need to start thinking about what other ways we can have love in our lives. What's the difference between romance and sexual love? So sexual love is just a loving connection with someone with whom you have a sexual relationship. That's it. And romance articulates a very clear set of norms for how you're supposed to get that sexual love. And that is the problem. It says historically that men should court women. Men should spend money on women. That's a big part of the narrative of romance since the 19th century. Men should provide for women, give her flowers and candy on Valentine's Day, right? There's no expectation of women to be buying a man anything on Valentine's Day. What should a woman do on Valentine's Day? She should offer her body to her man, right? In lingerie. You can do those things if you choose to. But notice that you are following a very clearly laid out script that is gendered. And when we fall into that, we're going to start finding that we have a bunch of problems in our relationships because women no longer want to live under the yoke of historical femininity and men don't want to live under the yoke of historical masculinity. So we need to figure out ways to connect that don't involve these romantic ideas. But what about the trad wives that are like on my Instagram now all over the fucking place being like, I love to cook for, I love being submissive and this is what that means. And like, this is us doing our little, you know, my pure wet couples dance with my husband and he's actually really safe. And like, the, are you like, check in with me in 20 years, honey, and let me know how that <laughs> went for you. Married at 22. Well, you know what? Actually, if you want to be a trad wife or and a trad husband, it could work. And the reason being that there's a very clearly scripted notion of how you're supposed to be behaving. And so as long as everyone performs according to the script, you might find that you're just completely happy. But if you as a woman are expecting equality, if you don't want to cook and clean every single day for your man, if you as a man want to live in a home in which you're not responsible for 100% of the finances, 
If you're not responsible for 100% of the safety of the home, for example, as a man, if men and women want to break free of the gender roles, well then, hey, honey, we got to let go of romance. So what about the fight of the people who think that like, that is an existential threat to society and to like our, the future of our country. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> it is that. And I love that people. And I think this is the real terror. I think this is why there are so many shows proliferating like, let's get the romance back. Oh, marry in one day. Mary having never seen the person. And don't get me wrong, these shows are fire. I love Married at First Sight. You know, I was fully an addict. Um, but, but... A lot of this is happening because of the fact that we have a society that's built around the idea that we can have romantic relationships that last, whereas we cannot, at this historical moment, have romantic relationships that last. Just look at the data. Is it going to collapse and it's going to be okay because duality or something? I think we should embrace what is inevitably going to be a little bit of chaos because I think so many of us are sick. Let me just tell you the number of times that I mentioned to a woman and especially a black woman, the book that I'm working on. And it's like, they are so ready to hear about some other way of relating to men. You can almost see their soul escape. They're just like, oh, oh, there's something else. Someone's going to tell me about why this is happening and that there's a possibility for something else. Hell fucking yes. You know, I think that a variety of different women and men are ready for this to be over. And as it pertains to non-binary people, trans people, consider the fact that there's no role for y'all within a romance. Unless you're going to be performing the expected roles of a man or a woman, there's no role for you in a romance. So if we want to truly embrace a free, open sexual society, we need to start letting go of some of these hundreds of years old ideas. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. How do we embrace a new norm in this in the face of, okay, romance is dead, but like, is that going to cause, like, are these fuckers going to actually, like, civil war our ass because we're <laughs> threatening the patriarchy? Like... 
you know? I mean, so let me just say that indeed romance is dead, but the situation is that it was straight cisgender men who killed it. They don't have anything to say to non-binary people or trans people about this problem. Romance started dying with pornography in the 1950s when there were so many elite white men who were cisgender and straight who were saying, "Uh uh-uh, withhold love, don't commit, don't get married. You need to look for a woman who is not a career woman or a feminist at a time in which we were experiencing a feminist revolution, right? A revolution in which more women were entering the workforce than ever. So if they are angry, they need to be angry with themselves. They are the ones who have undermined romance at the end of the day. But there's been a second hit to romance, interestingly enough. And this also involved men because romance began with a song. The very first representation of romance, it's seedling, where these men who were known as troubadours in the 12th century who would go around and they would sing songs that would include these tales that we now call romantic. That was the origin, actually. And some of them date this earlier. Some people argue it even began in the 11th century, but it was really a phenomenon with men by the 12th century. Now, just as a little side note, there were also women in the 12th century who were singing, not as many, and they were talking about how these men going around talking about romance were completely phony. They were not prepared to do any of the things that men themselves claimed that they were. They were valorous and brave and courageous and, you know, sacrificial. There were plenty of women at that time who were like, this is horseshit. Mm. But I digress. So mm-hmm. the point is that it was men in the 50s, beginning in the 50s, rather, who were starting to undermine romance. But if romance began with a song, it also ended with a song. It ended with a rap song. It ended with all the rap songs that are saying, fuck love. We hate women. Don't commit to women. Women are hoes. We don't love hoes. All of those songs are also helping to upgrade romance. And most of those songs are being created by black male rappers. So if men are upset, they only have themselves to blame. Oh my God. So (laughs) should we like, can we really count on men to fix this? And like, what does, like are straight people doomed? And like, what does a world without romantic love look like? I don't think men are going to fix anything, but I think that we shouldn't have to worry about trying to fix it. I think this is an incredible opportunity for all of us. And I say this as someone who thinks that I could be in an open relationship, but quite honestly, you know, it could be hard. I understand that it could be hard. I think it could be hard for me. But I also think that in my past relationships, which were a fucking hot mess, I think that one of the reasons why those were so bad is that I was in relationships with men and they were being possessive and I was being possessive and I was going to them. Why weren't you there? And they were going to me. Why wasn't I there? But what if instead we imagined relationships with people in which maybe gender is not as serious as we can take it right now? Consider that. Even looking back before romance, actually before Christianity, we were talking about the era of like the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Persians. It was common for men, especially who had more power to take lovers of a variety of genders. So prior to the dawn of the Romantic Age, having these kinds of more fluid sexual relationships were common. We can go back to a world in which we don't have to be like, I am this gender, my partner must be this gender, we will only have this kind of sex and only with each other for the rest of our lives. Something about that doesn't feel free to me. Something about the possessiveness of how it is now doesn't feel free, but like something, but then wasn't there like, so we could just do that like minus the like pedophilia 
Because that didn't they do that? I feel like people talk about that. That stresses me out too. Like I think that, that definitely right? happened like, through the that. era of the Greeks. Yeah, we don't want to be that back. Uh, and of course, the, no, the Christians, that, the Catholics but, were doing that too. We don't want that. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're still doing that. So like, it was just, like, oh, mine is that. But like, maybe just like it's like it's like it's like yeah. So that sounds interesting. That sounds interest and like yeah, interest. Okay, so um, we t- we talked. Well, I talked about toxic masculinity, like. Um, what, is there a positive, a more positive version of masculinity is, um, and also just because I respect you and I think that you're like a genius, like what's going to happen in November? Like, should we really leave? Like, I'm, like, is it, um, like, uh, like masculinity, Trump, all these Nick Fuentes crazy fuckers, like the, I mean, and also it's like, I was about to say like the rise of domestic violence. What I've been talking about, like intimate partner violence is like, what is the rise? It's, it's, it's like to quote St. Whitney Houston, it never left. Like it's been like, it, like fuck, but yeah, fuck. So what's up for 2024? Well, I mean, there are a lot of people who are suggesting that Biden is out. And I mean, I just wish that the Democrats would take seriously the fact that, we want someone else. We want someone else. We told you that when you ran Biden the first couple of times, and now we certainly want someone else. So uh, we're probably going to get Trump. <laughs> and let me just say that part of the reason why so many people who are traditional like Trump is because he is giving them back what they claim we are taking from them. As I've already explained, it wasn't the progressives who took romance away. It was the conservatives who took romance away, right? But it's the conservatives who also want this historical way of life back. And Trump is saying, I'm going to give you everything that America was historically about back, including women and men knowing their proper places. So if you want old, old timey gender roles, Trump is for you. And a lot of people, unfortunately, still want that. I think the problem for us as liberals and also as progressives is that we know we don't want that, but it's not immediately clear what things we do want. We have a diversity of things that we want. So it's a little bit chaotic. I think that we could start imagining a world in which we have different types of families. And here, queer people have always been leading the way. Queer people have chosen families. Queer people's families can look like we see them on poles, like we see them in Paris is burning. It's just a group of people who are loving on one another. Sometimes these people have sexual relationships. Sometimes they don't. But the idea is that you can have a family of people who are reciprocal and loving and caring and non-toxic and sex doesn't have to always be at the center of that. That in and of itself would be a tremendous revolution in this country. And to your question about masculinity, I've been spending time thinking about that. And the, the, the thing that I've ultimately come up with is I don't know that we should have different definitions for masculinity and femininity at least not things that are aspirational. Because how could we create a masculinity that is not oppressive to men and people who are not men? I mean, it does, It also feels like, for me at least, it feels chicken and egg sometimes because people say like, you know, men in dresses like bring back strong men. But then I'm like, do you know how strong I have to be to like walk out of the house in Texas in a dress <sighs> and heels, like knowing that it could be my last day? Oh my gosh. Like, do you know the courage and the strength? And like most men really could never, like could never show the strength or 
the courage or the resilience that trans people show, at least in terms of like what a modern or what a classic, if courage equals masculinity, then most men, a lot of men, but then they could also say like, well, we have the courage to oppress our feelings of wanting to show up in the world like that to, sh- to be this way that we think we're supposed. So it's like what came first. And so I think that is true. It's like let things that don't work, don't work anymore. Or like just let them go away. Like traditional masculinity and femininity, how could you make something not oppressive that was designed to be oppressive exactly. to your own feelings like- and to someone else's? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I used to be a sociology professor. Now I'm in Black Studies and that feels amazing. But when I was a sociology professor, I would have these incredible undergraduate students. And I remember doing a class once in which I was like, okay, students, I want you to come up with three attributes that all women share. And my students who were brilliant, they came up with this. Okay. uh, All women are expected to be polite. All women are expected to be sexually available, especially to men. All women are oppressed by femininity. I mean, my badass students, I was so proud of them. When we talk about masculinity and femininity, we're talking about power and privilege and oppression and denigration. And so what we can do is do away with these ideas altogether. We don't need to tell men what's masculine and what they can and can't do. We definitely don't need to tell women what's feminine and what we can and can't do. We can just allow people to be. Ah, Absolutely. Yeah, right? That's <laughs> um, really fascinating. Also, um, I forgot to ask you this earlier, but I think this is like probably like the most fun thing to go out on other than then the next follow-up question, which is like, what's next for you in your work? How can we follow you? Um, we're just so excited for your book. Um, I meant to ask this earlier though. In your, This is more of Ask GVN. So if there's any like high school or college professors that are still listening to this episode, you may want to skip the next, I don't know, two minutes. Um, <laughs> Sabrina, and the work for this book. Did any specifically straight-leaning women that you talked to express interest in pegging? It just came up for me thinking about um, <laughs> Broad City. And if you don't want to, I was like, because this is not in our prep. And, you know, I've this is definitely the wildest prep, non-prep question I've ever... Uh, but yeah, like, don't women ever just want to fuck? Like, don't they want to top? Like, aren't they curious to, like, dominate a man, honey? Like, I feel like if I was a cishet lady, I would want to put on a strap on and just, like, fuck the shit out of my husband. Thoughts? Did any other <laughs> lady say that? So I didn't talk to anybody about pegging, but I can speak for myself, which is that one of the reasons why I think that feminist and queer porn can be very valuable is that it shows women in other sexual positions that are not always just receptive or passive. Like I'm like, sometimes when I'm thinking about having sex and I mostly don't think about having sex with men anymore, but if I were going to, I would want to feel like I wasn't just laying there like a dead fish while he sort of like penetrates me and I'm just taking it. No, I want to take an active role. Sometimes I want to be on top. Sometimes I want to initiate. Sometimes I want to grab you in various ways. Like, you know, women are fiery, passionate animals. We want to show that. Fuck. Yes. Um, that's <laughs> glorious. I love that. I really miss Broad City. I'm just saying, I think that show is incredible. Um, <laughs> wow. So... I'm obsessed with you. I guess I already knew that, but I just continue to be so. I'm obsessed with um, you too. What's next for you? Where are you the most oct- active? Are you like all up on TikTok? Are you more on the gram? Are you more on X? Where are you? Where can people really just get into your work the most? 
Um, you know what? I'm one of these tentative social media users. I need to be better, but I'm most active on the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, so that you can still catch me there sometimes. If anybody is familiar with my work and is also interested in being a social media manager, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at SA Strings, uh, or you can also reach me um, through my email. You know, you can just Google me, find that um, at strings at ucsb.edu. I need somebody to help me figure this shit out. <laughs> yes, Who's your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your budget? What's your budget? Do you have oh, a budget? Um, I can, I mean, the university. Not for me, but for somebody. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what a, what a proper salary is, but um, I do have a university budget for this very thing. I would pay good fucking money to see your TikTok or Instagram. Like, I think, it, like, I would just, just spending time with you. This is the obligatory time at the end of the podcast where I pressure our guests to get on TikTok or just more on social. <laughs> Um, but so, but so X for now, and also your new book, we're this coming we're definitely in for this. Um, your new book is out now. It's the end of love, racism, sexism, and the death of romance. It just came out on January 30th. Get that book. Uh, stay tuned with us. Cause we will keep telling you on curious with JBN and on my Instagram, uh, where to find Sabrina and where she continues to pop up. Um, and you guys stick around. We're going to get into our, uh, post episode wrap up. Um, and yeah, Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on getting curious. We love you so much. And thanks for coming on the show. Oh, love you so much too. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. How much do we love Sabrina Strings? Obsessed with her. I'm so glad she got to come back on the pod. Um, so excited for her book. But it reminds me of what my endorsements agent always tells me about like parallel paths, which is that like sometimes like multiple things are going on at once. So it does seem like, according to Sabrina, romance is dead, at least the way that we thought of it. Um it just seems like we are in the middle of a revolution that instead of thinking of it as a threat, it's more about thinking this era as an opportunity for us to imagine a way of human connection and love and fulfillment that is like bigger and sees our humanity in a different and more like fulfilled way. Um, but I just thought that was a fascinating episode. I think that we definitely found that racism and sexism do play a huge role in dating. And I think the other thing that I found really interesting is that we don't exactly know how old patriarchy is, uh, but we do know that it is still alive and it is killing romance or that romance is already dead. So, and, and is there a way towards healing? I think it requires imagination. And what I'm really curious about from that is are men okay and toxic masculinity? Like, how does that show up in racism and how does toxic masculinity show up in our day-to-day -day lives in ways that we don't maybe name as such? It reminds me a lot of Sonia Passy. Um, and I just think that a lot of these things are, are a lot more interconnected than what we think, but it does bring up a lot more questions. According to Sabrina's work, like straight men really started to kill this in the 50s and in, in terms of that playboy, uh, you know, rejection of what men's responsibilities were in the classic sense of romance. And also like, why are straight people so triggered by, or why is that type of evangelical conservative so triggered by feminism and queer queerness and and why are they so threatened by the idea of like patriarch or why are they so take it so personally that like patriarchy may not be good and that there are ways of like classic gender roles there could be other ways that could be good too so we'll research more of that i'm getting curious thank you for coming on and we can't wait to see you next time we have uh some great episodes coming up and thank you for coming on we love you so much yes you've been listening to getting curious with me jonathan van ness 
You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. And honey, there's more where that came from. You can follow us on Instagram at CuriousWithJVN. We are doing the most over there and it is so much fun. You can catch us here every Wednesday and also make sure to tune in every Monday for Pretty Curious. Still can't get enough? Subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening and our subscription-only show, Ask JVN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Getting Curious is produced by me, Chris McClure, Julia Melfi, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. 